Welcome to Death Row. Like we always do about this time. <laughs> I'm gonna fight your fucking ass. You don't got, you're playing touch butt with that dork in the park. Ah, uh, there's a little snake in the grass. Hey, I'm not surprised, motherfuckers. No fucking Jesus, people. I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. Hey, pussy, are you still there? I'm back. Who the fuck is that guy? Break out the red panties. We're rich, baby. I would like to introduce... Welcome to the MA4 Money Show, episode 54. Uh, in this show, we will review UFC Vegas 9, Overeem versus Sakai, and preview UFC on ESPN Plus 35, or UFC Vegas 10, Watson versus Hill, and the main event of Bell Tour 245. Not much else, but you know what? Phil Davis and Machida are going at it again seven years later, so we got to talk about that. I am Bob Boss, your favorite garbage man at MA State of Mind. Here with Mikey Gills, you can find him at Mikey Gills on Twitter. That's Gills with a Z. Also, follow the show on Twitter at MMA4MoneyShow. Mikey, how are you doing tonight? Uh, not bad, not bad. I like that you added that little slight Italian accent. Like, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. <laughs> I try a little bit. Sometimes it, it's, it's a slight Chicago, slight New York, slight Italian, even though I'm 100% Dutch. But either way, we're going to move on. A little bit different show from the norm this week. But you know what? Same as last. So, you know, we're, we're in the new norm, but not the consistent norm. We're going to be mixing in the DraftKings again, uh, giving out a lineup at the end. Uh, after the show with the betting recap. And again, Mikey Cope, well, Mike Cope, real Mike, is coming back. He's busy with work again. Totally good. That's why it's awesome that we got Mikey joining us as a consistent drafting guy and able to step in whenever we need him. So in this busy time for the real Mike, we got Mikey Gills here. And the MA4 Money Show is here live. For any of you watching this right now, we are live. We are right now live. Live. I'm going to say as many times as I possibly can on Twitch, Periscope, YouTube. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast Podcasts, RSS feed. We're live on YouTube, but we also have uh, full episodes as well as tiny tidbits of the show. Bets, recaps, reviews, all just broken down for you on YouTube to watch at a later date. Please subscribe to that. You'll never miss a show. Like, comment, and share. Spread the word. Please give us some like Apple podcast reviews because that that, made, that would make me feel good. It would make Mikey feel good. It'd make real Mike feel good. It would make T, who's in the back right now recording this for us, feel extra good. You want him to feel good, don't you? Because if he doesn't feel good, we don't feel good. So please, we want your feedback. Give it to us. Okay, that was a little demanding at the end. I apologize. That was a little forceful. I'm going to dial it back just a tad to go into the review of Overeem versus Sakai, even though Overeem did not pull it back as he was dicing up Sakai's face. But we'll get there. Quick breakdown of just all around what happened this is gonna be a real weird because there's a lot of cancellations and a lot of changes i'm gonna literally go through the entire fight card with results and then we're gonna dial it back to a couple key points and mikey will be able to give us a good review on what happened with DraftKings. we'll be able to give you a review on what happened with one of our bets because the other one is one of the sad casualties of what went on over the course of this crazy week that was ufc on vegas nine okay so brian keller who's gonna invite kevin natividad then he got replaced by Ray Rodriguez, not Kelleher, Natividad. Then he choked him in 39 seconds. Cole Smith fought Hunter Azure, who got the name decision victory and actually dropped him early in the first round. Marcos Rogero de Lima versus Alexander Romanov. The fight we were probably most excited for got canceled day of. Montana de la Rosa got schooled in a name decision by Viviana Rojo. Bartos Fabinski, who a guy was obviously very high on, was almost a bet in this one. Luckily, I didn't. He got subbed in the first round by Andre Munoz. Tiago Moises for Jalen Turner, canceled. 
Michelle Pereira kissed his hand and just slapped Imidov to a third round rear naked choke. Was he really tapping? We're not really sure on that one, but you know what? He was going to win that fight kind of regardless with 10 seconds left. So Jarry Eubanks for Carol Rosa canceled. Ovin St. Prue after a little rough going in the first two and a half minutes. Got that counter left uh, finish over Alonzo Menafield, really showing that, man, that's not the right way close for Menafield, at least in my opinion. Main event, Alistair Overeem. People slept on him, just diced up Sakai with elbows and some very strategic takedowns at the end of the third, fourth, and early in the fifth before he finished it off, just like wailing on his face and really taking him to the cleaners, even though Sakai really did look good early. I was surprised on that. That was an incredibly fast breakdown. It obviously was. We're going to dial it back. Take a deep breath. Try not to speak so fast. I'm going to throw it to Mikey so he can give you the breakdown in terms of DraftKings before we hit a few of these high points and then move on because there's a lot to go over. So, Mikey, give us your DraftKings breakdown of what happened on this UFC Vegas 9. All right, so right before we get to the DraftKings stuff, I just wanted to hit on one important prediction that we made that doesn't show up in the DraftKings, which was hmm. what we called the Heath Herring in Japan pre-fight thing that happened between uh, Pereira and Imadeyev with the we had, we had a weigh-in shove. It wasn't quite a face-off punch, but it was close enough for what we called. Anyway, moving right along. So we didn't actually submit an official card for DraftKings this week because of all the cancellations, but we right. did keep you guys updated. Like we said, if you follow us on Twitter, we we're gonna we aren't gonna leave you completely hanging. So mm-hmm. if you followed us, we gave you a card that actually hit pretty well. We hit for four or six wins, totaling out for four hundred and forty-seven and a half points. Last week on another card, we hit five or six wins. We had four hundred and forty-eight points. Half point off, we are a model of consistency here at the MMA show. Reem, Azure, OSP, and Pereira all hit for us, scoring over 90 points. De La Rosa hit for us real big in a loss, scoring 47 and a half points, just making a fight of it, which is really all we wanted. Kind of why I picked it, and that was the reasoning for picking it. Um, the big letdown on the card was Fabinski. We said that we weren't sure if he was going to be able to stay on top and score points without getting submitted. I didn't want to play him. I said that on the last show, but because of all the cancellations, we ended up having to play somebody ended up being him. Didn't work out for us. So he was our big letdown. But other than that, like we said, Reem, Azure, OSP and Pereira all hit big for us. What did Reem end up scoring? Cause obviously like he wasn't putting out crazy amounts of output. He did get the finish, but he had five rounds worth of, well, at least three rounds worth of takedowns and attacking from top. So how big yeah. of a score was he? He was good. He, he was the biggest one, 107 points on the day. Uh, basically, anytime that you're cashing, you're raining down elbows and basically knocking gold coins out of a human being's head in the process, uh, it's going to pay out pretty nice. Oh, a little sidebar. Did you ever see that GIF edit of uh, Barrow Dillashaw 2? It was the finishing sequence. It's when he hit like the 30 punch combo. Somebody edited it. So every time he hit him, a coin shot up like he was playing like Mario or something like that. I need to find that. I'll, I'll share that one out if I can find it. And I'll tag everybody. I used to rewatch because I was at that fight. I used to rewatch it all the time because it was like a 30 shot unanswered combination that they just made the, the dinging sound and the coin shoot up in the air. Sorry, you just reminded me of that. Well, now, nah, if they wanted to really touch on my age range, they should have uh, knocked it out and had gold rings pop out. And then somebody turns into Sonic. The kids today would appreciate that too. It's true. I'm just trying to think if that was the finish. And it's been long enough to find it. I gotta go search it for you. Hey, Sonic, Sonic works. The live action one came out. My son's a big fan. <laughs> it's his favorite character currently. Um, and Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games is the new game. Okay. We're digressing. Sorry. Back on task. Sorry about that. So we definitely, like, there, there's no way we are gonna get uh, around 
talking about Michelle Pereira. I would love to be talking about Alexander Romanov right now because we were very confident in him. He was actually going to be a bet. He was going to be in our DraftKings lineup. We were so high on this guy making his UFC debut. But I jinxed the MMA gods, as you tend to do, and it was my bad. Yep. <laughs> we, we can pull up the tweets. We have the receipts. Oh, dude. It was literally like, was it like 20 minutes later? Like it was within an hour. Yeah, me, uh, oh. me, and, me and Real Mike both, as soon as you said it, got right in you. Like, oh, that sounded horrible. Right in your, uh, your responses like, no, what oh, are no. you doing? Don't say that. Oh, no. I thought, I thought uh, after two canceled fights and one last minute replacement, we were kind of good. But apparently we needed one more. And Marcus Roger de Lima had to test positive, and I just got so sad. But, yeah. you know, it, 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 it gives a little bit of solace in the fact that we still won our bet on the cards. We didn't have a losing event or anything like that. It's just it would have been a bigger night for both our DraftKings and for our bets. But to, to go on the happy note, so Michelle Pereira, who I've heard from uh, numerous people both, uh, I'm pretty sure they said it on the broadcast and uh, some talking heads after the fact that, he might be in his perfect little niche here fighting in an empty arena because then dude doesn't go crazy and try to, well, I mean, he, he still goes crazy, but he doesn't go like, like, I think you said it perfectly. If he's just like, that, that dialed it back just a little bit, like a little yeah. bit more reserved, he could take this and take it easy. And he did. He was, stu- dude, he was like, this is why I was shocked. And I almost actually put more money on it, but you got to be careful that he's going to do some kind of illegal strike and get booted. But he was minus 115 here versus a guy that he was dramatically better than in almost every aspect. You just want him to not do something too crazy and not gas himself out. Well, he styled on him for three rounds and then maybe got a choke, but he was going to win anyway. But the, obviously the, the gift being shared around and the most crazy thing was the fact that he literally kissed his hand held it out, and the very next strike he threw was an overhand slap over the guy's head. And Zalim Imedov, the reason that like people were high on him is like he's a really good boxer. Like He has really good boxing. It's crisp, and he lands and has good defense, but not for that. And you just you don't come back from that. That was just the, the most disrespectful thing I think I've ever seen within a fight, other than maybe Nick Diaz laying down when he was fighting uh, Anderson Silva. But that didn't, didn't really make contact. It was just kind of like, why are you laying down? Um, but obviously that was our only bet that still happened with the cancellations. Uh, only bet for the night. So we ended the night with plus one unit. And like Mikey said, we did great on DraftKings. We went done even better if Alexander Rom- I guess that's assuming Romanoff would have won. But come on. Yeah. It was against Marcos Rogerio de Lima. He he was gonna he was gonna smash. At very least he was gonna just be th- slamming him to the ground at least once or twice per round it was going to be awesome so uh any f- uh further statements here on Pereira before we let's say we'll jump and we'll talk about the co-main and main event of this event after your yep. get your piece um, no aside from the Pereira thing it's just uh you talked about he was a little bit more calm and then I think somewhere in the first round he landed a big right hand and you saw his eyes glow and then he threw a showtime kick and it was just like here we go <laughs> but you know aside from that now I mean much better so I was happy with oh. it I know, yeah, that was that was one of those moments that you were like, okay, the thing is, like, you could still be a little bit crazy as long as like it's in opportune moments. But I know he's obviously he's still a nut job, and here's hoping that he can calm himself down just enough. Like he's big for the weight class, he's got some power. But okay, so moving on, uh, co-main event, we're gonna talk about that, and then the main event before we move on. Uh, Ovin St. Prue was an underdog because he had just lost at heavyweight to Ben Rothwell who hasn't looked the same post sauce and coming back down to 205. Honestly, the reasoning uh, a number of weeks ago, why on the show we had picked Alonzo Menafield really showed itself here. Obviously he doesn't have the reach or anything like that. And he's kind of small for the weight class. I mean, dude's bodied up. Like he, he's very muscular, but in terms of like height reach and stuff like that, he's just not going to have it. 
but his speed, like he, like in the first thing, 20 seconds, just went straight for him and threw an overhand right and landed. I mean, like he landed a couple huge shots like that using explosive speed to get in the reach and land. Kudos to Open Saint He went with the strike, so they didn't quite do as much damage. I mean, it added to the view of it because it looked like he got shot like 10 feet, but went with the strikes. And then eventually just the reach and the consistent leg kick game slowed Benefield down. And he just kept doing those kicks to the stomach, like and like in the perfect spot, like that right above the belt, where like the ref is almost isn't sure if it's a low blow, but it's not. And just landing consistently, just taking the wind out of him. And then he just lands that beautiful counter left in the second round and just Menafield just goes down. Just down. Like it's rough. And again, super happy to end up betting on it, but kudos to open St. Prue. And since big light heavyweight shakeup of John Bones Jones not being there. I mean, he's probably sadly only like one win away for a title shot. So Mikey, what are your thoughts on this finish, this fight and just St. Peru in general? Well, the fight and the finish are two different things. And it's funny. I, uh, I kind of take notes during every fight that I watch mm-hmm. anyway, and I'm just reading back my notes on this one. Here we go. Uh, Menafield backing up most of the time, not throwing much at all. OSP lands just enough to justify winning the round. This fight sucks. Oh my God, OSP lands huge counter left and KOs Menafield dead. That's, <laughs> those are my notes in order. So uh, those no, are perfect I, notes. Yeah, uh, I used to do live blogging. You can tell, but no, uh, no, great, great uh, knockout win for OSP. It was exactly what you what you would hope for. I can't remember mm. what his price was to start off. It was it was fairly cheap on the card at eighty. 8,400, I believe he was like that. Regardless, he paid off uh, crazy 96 and a half points on that one. So he was kind of a gift because I originally didn't play him, but putting him back in the lineup ended ended up working out big. So kudos to him. Hey, there you go. Um, In the main event, I was very, very close to uh, betting over him here. For those of you who watch the show, you don't actually know how close I was, both talking with Real Mike and Mikey and a few other guys. I was just right there, but like after consistently for probably like five or six events, other than Frankie Edgar, because obviously he came up big for us, just over and over again watching like your recent favorite fighters that are veterans all losing in dramatic fashion and getting like that sinking feeling in your stomach. I'm like, is this finally Overeem's turn? But he that like he is Mister Five Round Main Event Heavyweight. Like he is that he's that tier above. That's why he can do it. Like this is a three round fight. This is sketchy. Like this, I mean, he would have put poured it on more, but still, this would have been a sketchy fight. But he does so good in these five round fights. Rosenstrike fight, notwithstanding, although he won ninety percent of that fight. He was losing losing for sure the first round. Second round was closer. Probably still go to Sakai. It was boring. It was up against the fence, just trading knees basically. And it wasn't until Overeem like what Mikey said he should have done the whole time gone into his wrestling game. Cause it is pretty slick and just started like w- doing some heavy ground and pound. I mean, the only thing more devastating than some of this ground and pound was his like spitting back heel kick to the crotch that he did in like the third or fourth round, which <laughs> definitely started the downtrend for a guy in, in my opinion. Uh, and he gets the a TKO ground and pound in round five, like in the early going, it's because dude, that those cuts were, they, the first cut happened in the second, and they just kept piling on each other. And I'm like, I'm not even sure if we could see out of that eye given the fourth round. Like, I'm surprised they sent him out how bad that cut was in his eyebrow. But, I mean, Overeem dialing it back. He says this is his last title run. And, I mean, I mean, heck, why not? 
So <laughs> your thoughts on the main event, obviously you saying he's our biggest DraftKings scorer. And were you like me in the first like two rounds of this? Like, oh, it's going to be this fight. It's going to be a sad night. Yeah, well, I talked up uh, over him a lot before this fight, talking about how he was going to he was going to roll on Sakai. And then for the first two rounds, he wasn't doing anything close to that. He was kind of the direct TV defense that we talked about, where he just sits <laughs> up against the cage and just takes shots. I'm watching mm-hmm. that every time he does that. I expect him to go down. That's oh, absolutely. Been what's happened for the last 10 years, you know, but then round three cam- comes out. He starts throwing like more leg kicks. He's a little bit more aggressive. And then he starts in with the takedowns. And as soon as he started in with the wrestling fight changed instantly, when you get a guy like that, those big, huge strikers, when they get on top of you and start their, their technique, just from stand up, they know how to turn their hips into it on the ground, everything. They get all their weight behind it, especially with those elbows. They were nasty hitting them three in a row on the face. I'm on the couch like, he's already dead. And then luckily, you know, it gets all the way to the fifth round. Referee already knew what to look for. He took a couple more and they stopped it. But Overeem, great, great fight. Uh, I don't know where he goes from here. Maybe maybe the Rosen-Shroik rematch like you were talking about because he did win all of that except for literally one second of it. But I'm in for it wherever he wants to go. Get him one more, get him a title shot, get him out of here. Yeah, honestly, like there's not too much, too many guys ranked higher than him that he hasn't either already beaten or I guess if it's Deep A lost to. But if certain Twitter accounts don't get what they want, I mean, he's he tapped, Deep A tapped, so he's technically a champion right now. <laughs> I, I can't confirm nor deny. <laughs> Sorry, I gotta, gotta move on from that point. Um, <laughs> Well, no, I'd say um, so many people, and it, it's true until the times that it does work. This is even going back to the very first night, uh, the very first fight with with Brian Kelleher. It's like, it's like if unless you guys are completely dry, you don't have any sweat whatsoever. It's like jumping to a guillotine. Ninety nine times out of hundred doesn't work, yeah. and everyone just remembers the times they do work, and that's always at the very beginning of the fight, not in the third or fourth round when everyone's sweaty and you don't have quite the lock in, but. Yeah, well, that, that point will come up in a review later on on this uh, show. Yeah. Well, actually, one thing I was impressed with, I'll, I'll just say this point before we jump on to quick talk about uh, Bellator and then moving on, was the Bartos Fabinski Muniz fight because he took so much energy trying to get that initial takedown and just pushed him against the fence for, I think it was like a minute and a half or longer, just pushing, 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 finally gets him down. They go for the guillotine attempt. It's pretty tight, nothing crazy, but it's pretty tight. Then transitions. Like he basically gives him his neck for a triangle attempt. And then, then he's looking for that. And then the last minute he switches to an arm bar. And then like, as soon as it's not, I'm not even sure if it was fully extended. He just quick tapped. Yeah. And that, I mean, that was just overall impressive, but just, just more, it's, it's more going with my uh, guillotine analogy, but sorry, I'll, I will move on from that point. Um, well, no, what I was going to say was the, the really impressive thing is your review of it was actually longer mm-hmm. than it took for the whole fight. So. Exactly. That's, that's occasionally, you know, the, the, the whimsy takes you and you, you want to bring people on the journey. And then afterward, the visa gets denied. So then you're brought back to reality. And our reality right now is Bell Tour 245, which was originally going to be a pretty good card, like halfway decent. But like it's it's other than the main event, it has become what Bellator has become and what Strike Force used to be. And you match up your names versus guys that they're likely going to beat and not just beat finish but in the main event you have leota machida who is plus 270 versus phil davis minus 332 this is a rematch of a fight that happened seven years ago um and honestly even though he's a big dog i kind of like machida here 
a little bit. Um, there's no bet whatsoever because you never know where those guys are. But honestly, Machida has looked better recently. I mean, Phil Days has some finishes, but they're against. I mean, no offense to the guys he's beating. I mean, I mean the get the win against uh, Liam McGeary was more was that uh, jaw injury, but. I mean, he lost to Nemkov, who's now the champion. So you got that. Uh, he has two split decision losses to Ryan Bader. So he, he was close to beating Bader, but didn't. So I don't know. I just, I think that like, it's, it's one of those ones that's like, Machida loses to guys that will come after him, like will go at him. And Phil Davis just is not that guy. So this is just going to be an incredibly boring main event fight. Like it's going to be bad, but it's going to be that special type of boring where like at the end of it, whoever wins, you're going to go, okay. And you know what? That, okay, might be a Leota Machida. <laughs> but le- legend boring is different than regular boring. Yeah, That's true. Le- the nostalgia is there, which just elevates it at least three degrees. You remember when uh, Chuck and Juan finally fought? They didn't do anything for the first two and a half minutes. And Mike Goldberg's like, this is respect. Like that's what you get when you're a legend. But, uh, yeah, when you get those fights that were supposed to happen like seven years previous. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the good news is uh, for Leona Machida, like you said, the good news is he's not fighting Ryan Bader, which I'm assuming yeah. he probably like checks under his bed and in the closet before he goes to sleep. So, you know, that's good. But, uh, you know, Leona Machida, the thing that scares me going into this fight for him, he's 42 years old and he's coming off over a year long layoff. And when you start to get to that age and you're not fighting, I mean, you can do all the karate with your dad that you want. It, it's not going to prepare you. Yeah, it's not going to prepare you to go against Phil Davis. The guy is going to be uh, maybe the only thing that Machida really has a lifelong thing that can prepare for Phil Davis really is that he has that sumo base, which has always helped him kind of avoid takedowns. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to help him in this fight. Not at 42 years old. Uh, Phil Davis, 35, still kind of at the tail end of his prime. But that uh, it's Phil Davis, uh, easy pick for me. One thing that I. This is a little sidebar, but still talking about Phil Davis. I always forget about Phil Davis. Well, because once he left the UFC, like he is not like, like they don't promote. This is the most that Bellator has promoted him other than when he fought Bader, like the entire time he's been in Bellator. And he's had like seven fights in Bellator. They just, or actually more than that now, they don't promote the dude. And he's not in the public eye. And I just remember like one time, it was a, I want to say it was like an Instagram push, like, like don't you want to buy this product type thing like a advertisement and it was like a random cbd product and i'm like looking like they don't say who it is but it's a picture of somebody with i'm like that's phil davis mm. and i'm just staring at it and i'm like whatever happened to phil davis i'm like oh that's why he's still in bellator i like it just didn't even click and i'm like and i watch a fair amount of bellator fights and i'm just like dude and i know i watched you fight bader and i picked bader because I, I thought he, i thought it wasn't gonna be a split but i thought he was for sure gonna beat you and then I'm like, I'm not sure. I remember you fighting Liam McGeary the second time. And then like, like all the, you just start to, he's just faded back into the ether. And apparently he does that between fights. But this is just your friendly reminder that Phil Davis is still a thing. And you well, can watch him. He, he, he was hard to promote on the way in. I mean, yeah, he's Phil Davis, big UFC name, but he came in off of a loss mm-hmm. to, the, to the ghost of, you know, Ryan. But um, then he goes in there Am I misremembering this? Did they have a tournament where he fought twice in one night? Am I misremembering? Yeah, he got that beat. I think the pretty sure that's when he beat. I could double check, but that's when he. I, beat, yeah, I think that was the McGeary. Um, Va- that was the Linton, Va- Linton Vassal yeah. and Liam McGeary. The the first time he fought Liam McGeary, and then he had a head kick KO of uh, Vassal, I believe, okay. which was their 
maybe yeah I... no but you get that you get the, that cool when you can promote that mm-hmm. but then again the ghost comes back in and just takes up takes your title from you and just what he he now he's a 35 year old who everything that he has since he's entered the company it's just kind of been like eh. but yeah, well, yeah the, nope. no, no offense to what they just did because obviously bellator just signed Corey anderson but Corey anderson is phil davis with the worst chin they already like they did this they did this six years ago when they got phil davison he didn't become what you want him to become and Corey Anderson is like a little more skill, but less chin. So he's going to get finished by Nemkov. And I'll bet that. And we'll make money then. <laughs> well, Corey Anderson will always have the better nickname. He just has to go back to it. Beast in 25. Beast. That was the best. <laughs> it was. And overtime is awful. And when my first kid comes, that's what he's going to be named. Middle name for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay sorry we'll we'll move on um before we digress further um we're gonna go into ufc vegas 10 um that's waterson versus hill or ufc on espn plus 35 they keep changing the names but obviously you can't turn that into a hashtag so we're back to the vegas hashtags we will go a little more in depth into this one and similar to last week's show um mikey will also not just be giving his breakdown but he'll be giving the two cents on the DraftKings perspective and then at the end of everything we'll do a bet recap and an official DraftKings lineup for you guys and again keep your eyes on twitter because as of right now we have 12 fights there's no way we have 12 fights come fight time and i'm hoping we at least only lose a couple so it's like it's the most you could hope for before we go back to Fight Island and no one ever tests positive because magic. Um, <laughs> in the first fight, I'm actually not going to bring this one at all because I can't get my brain out of the toilet. But uh, Sabina Mazo is minus 245 versus Justine Kish plus 205. And that's the main reason. So I'm just going to take a step back and give this to Mikey before I just, I don't know. Yeah, no, I uh, just... Uh... Dovetail off of that. We'll start off with uh, Justin and Keish. Uh, seven to two, two subs, five divisions, five for five, 65 inch reach. Three and two since joining the UFC. But honestly, every fight that you don't do in your pants in the cage is a win. So undefeated since probably 2016 in my book. But uh, man, that's so unfortunate for her. It's never going to oh, leave, is it? You will never live that down. And you no. feel bad for it, but also don't wear white shorts. Uh, and uh, sure. Yeah, don't wear white shorts. But the, the good news is that I heard Odell Beckham is a, is a UFC fan, so he's got a new favorite fighter. There you go. And, it, uh, it, it, you, too, can be a side piece and make, like, six figures. Oh, boy. Oh, we're, we're terrible people. <laughs> I've never claimed uh, to be otherwise. <laughs> uh, no, but back to the fight specific for this. Uh, you know, she's, Justine Keish is kind of known for, if anything, it's just being the least busy fighter in UFC history. She has a way of not doing anything in a way that the judges are almost oddly hypnotized by it into a way that she can score certain points and find her way into split decisions. It doesn't make it's all any on the sense shoulders. Yeah. It's all in the shoulders. It's sort of like a win shoe, like, woo, kind of thing. But she's going up against Sabina Mazo, eight and one, two knockouts, six decisions, five foot seven, 70 inch reach, which I think is going to be a huge thing to play for her tonight. She's uh, four, four and one uh, in her last five, former LFA champ, never lost the title when she left LFA, came to the UFC. So she's sort of like the Alundra Blaze of women's MMA, if you're familiar with 90s wrestling. But uh, she lost her UFC debut. She's won two straight, two, two straight since then, both by decision. As far as DraftKings go, she scored 113 points and 89 points in both of those fights in order. 
Uh, she's got a big height and reach advantage. The reach advantage in particular, six six inches. But not just that. She's great with her kick. She's got some sick head kick knockouts earlier on in career. And if, for whatever reason, Kish wants to get this fight to the ground, she's also got uh, – Mazo has great top control, can rain down some real real good ground and pound. Uh, she is uh, Mazo is going to find her way in our DraftKings lineup at $9,200. She's going to be our most expensive play on the card. Justine Kish, 7,000. I don't see – any real path to victory for her. So hopefully she just keeps everything inside and just takes a loss. Next up, we have Brian Barbarino, minus 275 versus Anthony Ivy, plus 235. Uh, in my opinion on this one, I like Barbarino as a fighter in general, just the blood and guts style, but that style leads to accumulated damage over an entire career. And it's finally shown uh, the ugly side in the last two fights. He's got finished in the third round, the last two. And that used to be his game. He would weather the storm and he'd outlast you and he'd get a late finish. Just as Sage Northcutt or any of the other like names he was supposed to lose again because they were more skilled. He outlasted him. He beat him in the third. Well, now he's losing in the third and the damage is starting to add up. So someone where the damage is starting to add up, I don't know how you can trust someone at minus 275. Um, I've been somewhat impressed uh, with Anthony Ivey, not overly so, but like I said, I've been getting sour on Barbrana as of late because of those uh, finished losses and there's a chance this could be a third finish loss for him. Um, Mikey, I know you have a more, I'm going to guess, like flag in the ground pick in this fight than I do. So I'll throw this one to you for the Brian Barbrando versus Anthony Ivy. Yeah, let's start off with uh, Anthony Ivy, the former Fury FC 170 champ, eight and three, five KOs, three subs. He's finished every fight in his career, 30 years old, 6'2, 74 inch reach. This is a guy, he lost his UFC debut to Mr. Genie to bottle himself, Christian Aguilera. And that was, that was a bad loss for him because he never got a chance to show what he could do. He took a shot on the temple about a minute in, and then he just kind of covered up. I'm not, he didn't look like he was knocked out. He just kind of covered up, and then Aguilera came in there and finished him. But that's Aguilera's game. Ten of Aguilera's 14 wins have been first-round knockout. So UFC first fight, I'm willing to overlook that. But before that, though, he had a ton of hype coming in. I'm not willing to erase all that hype just because of one quick loss. He's a very patient fighter on the feet. He waits for that first shot. And what, what he's going to do in basically every fight that you can watch on YouTube for the guy is he throws a right hand, blasts into a power double, puts his opponent against the cage, throws him on the ground, and goes to work. Uh, styles make fights, and Barbarina style plays right into Ivy's, in my opinion. If he's coming out there and trying to do crazy wild brawling, he's going to open himself up for that takedown. But coming into... Uh, Brian Bar- Barbarena right here, uh, 14 and seven, 10 knockouts, two submissions, 31 years old, six foot, 72 inch reach. I do not understand the odds in this fight. I do not understand his DraftKings price, which is $9,000. He has Ooh. so much. Yeah. $9,000 for Barbarena. That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, a lot of things are going against him in this fight. He's two and three in his last five. He's lost two straight. was finished in both. His last win was in 2018 against a completely washed Jake Ellenberger. He only has two wins since 2016. Not just that, he's coming off back surgery and a year and over a year layoff. And during that back surgery, he went up to 250 pounds. All, all in the last year. That's all so, pizza. <laughs> so, I mean, you look at all that. That's my case against him. The layoff, the back surgery, coming down from 250. Not just that, he has pre-existing gas gas tank uh, issues too. This is a guy who we've seen tire out in the third round. And when you're going up against a guy like Ivy, who is 
probably with his style is getting stronger as he goes with that grappling. I think a lot of this stuff is spelling doom for Barbarina. I am not, not that Ivy is Leon Edwards or Colby Covington, but I've seen those guys cruise the decision decisions against Barbarina 14 and seven. How do you get a $9,000 price tag on DraftKings when you have seven losses, when you're five and five in the UFC, it doesn't make any sense to me. And that's why I pick an Ivy at $7,200 on DraftKings. He's going to be not only our biggest underdog on the card, he's going to be our first underdog that we're going to play on the night for DraftKings. I just can't say, I can't say no to all those signs. Now, one of, one of your main points was about Barbarina's year-long layoff. Now, this is taking that in a different aspect. This is for the next fight we're about to talk about. So Frank Camacho is minus 225 versus Brock Weaver plus 185. So this is someone who should have taken a year-long layoff. Frank Camacho got brutally knocked out just three months ago. And anytime you're brutally knocked out, you should wait at least a year. I'm sorry, you sh- if you can afford it, you got to wait at least a year for some type of recovery. Do got knocked out in the first round three months ago. I'm so- I understand skill for skill. He is dramatically better than Brock Weaver. I, th- I think Brock Weaver is a total bust. Dude has two wins in the UFC. One of them was because he got illegally need in a fight he was getting destroyed in, and then they passed it that way. I do not think Brock Weaver is good. Um, he had some, a decent amount of hype for whatever reason. He seemed okay on the contender series for all those of you watching contender series right now this guy came from it and i i, I don't get it um I, I would hate to see the odds on this if frank camacho didn't just get brutally knocked out in the first round but i do not know how you could trust frank camacho at minus 225 even get someone like brock weaver uh, i'll pick camacho in terms of like his skill being there but i would not put money anywhere near this fight given the fact how recently he got brutally knocked out and just how this is going to sound bad. Talentless, I think Brock Weaver is. Obviously, that's harsh criticism, but I, I think this guy is, it's just a matter of time before he gets bounced from the UFC, whereas Camacho has shown that he can linger around even if the last show wasn't so great. Mikey, how are you feeling about Frankie Camacho here versus <laughs> Brock Weaver? Mr. Nat um, uh, get I, I agree with everything you just said. I mean, even with that, I still trust him enough to get the, uh, the win. But you know, seven fights in the UFC, he's two and five in that span fighting guys like Drew Dober, Jeff Neal, and Manil Darius. I mean, there's, he's had a tough run early on. Uh, lost two straight, both by stoppage, including the one that you were just talking about, going up against Brock Weaver. Uh, you know, coming off of a submission loss in May. He, he, let's face it, he's not that good. You're right. And Frank Camacho... <laughs> yeah, sorry, I was trying to think of a nicer way to phrase that. <laughs> I no, was doing dangles as well. <laughs> no, nah, Frank, Frank Camacho... Uh, I can't talk. Frank Camacho should roll here. He's the more experienced of the two. The knockout loss i just don't think brock weaver has shown anything that even if they do get into a sloppy exchange like camacho likes i don't know that brock weaver even has the power to knock him out even from a loss like that but he he's a uh, camacho is a stay away from me just because of the recent knockout there's other fighters without those question marks for at his price tag which is 8700 on this card um i still don't believe in brock brock weaver at all at 7500 so this fight is a complete stay away from me yeah, when I apologize, I misspoke. I said he was 2 0 in the UFC. I was going with the contender series fights, and obviously, yes, as Mikey said, he got submitted in the last go round versus Roosevelt Roberts, who we will be yeah. talking about in not too long, actually. Um, one or two fights away from talking about that one. Uh, next up, Alan Patrick. Now, this, no, okay. Now that we're talking about layoffs, <laughs> we need to talk about Alan Patrick's 
UFC tenure here. Um, so he hasn't fought in a month shy of two years. <laughs> and before that, he fought twice in 2008 and then didn't fight two years before that. And he is just the, the picture of consistency. <laughs> He's had a lot of cancel bouts, but that's all within the last year. Um, he got finished by Scott Holtzman. And no offense, Scott Holtzman. I love him. I really do. I think he's a consistent fighter who wins. But if you get finished by Scott Holtzman, it's just a bad sign for you. And that was the last fight he actually fought on the Khabib McGregor card. Yes, that's how long ago that was. Whereas Bobby, he's fighting Bobby Green. Sorry, I guess I should have said that. Um, he's fighting Bobby Green, who honestly, I, I'm starting to change my opinion on Bobby Green. He used to piss me off because like, dude was not, he didn't have the output. He would just do the shoulder roll defense. And because he wasn't getting hit hard, he thought he was winning fights, but he's really come back with it. He's coming off a win over Clay Guida and Lando Venata, and those fights didn't really even appear close. He looked great in those last two. The odds here are Patrick at plus 205, Bobby Green minus 245. I like Bobby Green here. I think he's going to uh, cruise to a decision. I mean, there might be one kind of hinky around in there if he decides to like play a little loosey-goosey defense and just try to show it off for everybody, but I, I do think he's going to get the win here. I like his mindset. Um, in these last few fights, and I think he carries it on through here. And although Alan Patrick has a good record, it's partly because he's barely fighting. Mikey Patrick for screen. Um, for me, uh, Bobby Green is a crazy story because I, I was such a big fan of Bobby Green back in the day mm -hmm. when he was in Strike Force. He went on that crazy like eight fight run, and then it, his personal life kind of fell apart. And I think that parallels his career in a big way. If you follow what happened. After his Josh Thompson win, an unfortunate thing, his brother was shot. And that kind of spelled that's when that's when the the win stopped and the, the salt and pepper record started. He lost, I think at one point it was like three in a row. But he he had a lot going on. And I think he's starting to move past that. Like two shows ago, we called Hannah Cyphers the COVID MVP. Well, Bobby Green's the real COVID MVP because he mm -hmm. actually wins those fights. Like Hannah Cyphers <laughs> shows up and she gets paid, but Bobby Green gets two sides of the check. So for me. He's definitely going to be the COVID MVP here. Three fights in three months. He's won two straight, three and two in his last five. But honestly, that Francisco Trinaldo fight was really close. He could easily mm -hmm. be four and one. Uh, he's the younger fighter. He's looked great lately. Uh, he's quick hands, great timing in the pocket. The only real concern I have is that after the Clay Guida fight, he said in an interview that he had fractured his hand. Now, it didn't look like it affected him in his last fight against Venata, so I'm not, I'm not too worried about that. Uh, Alan Patrick just... Three and two in his last five. Hasn't fought since October of 18th. Uh, the Connor Carley you're talking about. 37, oh, sorry, 37 years old. We had already talked about Leota Machido earlier and longer, uh, you know, older fighters with these long layoffs. I don't trust it. Plus, he's more of a Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighter than anything. And I don't think Green is going to let him play that game. I think it's going to be a boxing match. And Green is a big scorer on DraftKings. He's $9,100 price tag, but I think he's going to score big. I'm pretty sure his last time out, he had uh, 123 points, if I'm not mistaken. The time before that, it was 89. So $9,100. He's going to be one of our core players. Patrick at 71, complete stay away. He needs to outwork Green on the ground to win. I don't think he's going to do that. So uh, for me, Bobby Green, let's go. Next up, we have a fighter that we briefly mentioned before uh, in terms of 
submitting Brock Weaver, but uh, Roosevelt Roberts, he's minus 115 versus Matt Frivola, minus 105. Uh, very closely lined fight, and I actually do think it's going to be a fairly close fight. I have a tendency to lean uh, Frivola. Um, I've been really uh, impressed with his ground game. I, I know that's odd saying Roberts just getting the submission there, but again, there was submission over Brock Weaver. Um, gun to head, I would pick Matt Frivola, but I do not have a heavy lean either way in this fight. Um, I like how Roberts uses his reach uh, in there, but I guess I'm just going to pick Frivola. Obviously, going through this one rather quick. Uh, Mikey, how's this looking in terms of DraftKings, and is this closely lined, and do you have a lean on either side of that? Uh, yeah, if I have a lean, we'll start off with them. It's uh, Roosevelt Roberts, 10 and 2, 3 knockouts, 5 subs. Uh, what you're talking about was the big uh, height and reach difference. He's 6'2 mm-hmm. with a 73-inch reach. He's going off for $8,400 on DraftKings. 3 and 2 in his last 5, 4 and 2 since the Dana White Contender Series fight. He's coming off a loss to Jim Miller in the first round. So the only loss in his career. I'm sorry, no. Yeah, one more. I'm sorry. But in that fight, it was... It was kind of an odd thing. Jim Miller in the first round is a different animal than Jim Miller at any other time. And they collided when Roosevelt Roberts threw a kick right as Jim Miller was throwing a punch. And it sort of ended up into a takedown. And then you have an animal like Jim Miller on top of you. He hunted for the submission. He got it. Um, I don't think Matt Favola is going to find himself in that position. But no. going on to Matt Favola, 8-1-1, 30 years old, five foot nine, going off for $7,800 on DraftKings. Uh, one thing I do like a lot about him right now is he's training down at Gracie Tampa with Billy Quarantino, who also fights on this card. I really like when fighters have somebody training to peak at the same exact time. They're going to push each other hard. Uh, for Matt Favola, his style, very aggressive on the feet, constantly pushing forward, comes in winging haymakers to set up his wrestling. He's going to try to get him to the ground. The problem with that style is it leaves you open to being hit. And in his, his, his case in particular with his opponent, it's going to leave him open to getting hit in the body. We've seen him eat some brutal kicks even in his wins. Um, one thing for Favola that I really like is he beat a very similar and height and reach guy in Jalen Turner, a guy that we both liked on the last card. And that guy trains at Roosevelt Roberts. So I'm not sure... I'm not sure who that helps more. Does it help Matt Favola, who's already trained for that style, or does it help Roberts, who has a guy to tell him what to watch out for with recent fight tape? Um, you can weigh in on that if you want. But for me, Roberts is going to use his speed and power to keep Favola at a distance. Uh, if they get close, Roberts, and they go to the ground, he has good top control, can use his length well to deliver good ground and pound. And I think he's going to do that or just stay on the feet and box him up. For me, it's uh, Roberts. And I think he's a good DraftKings play at $8,400, but I don't have him in our card for tonight. Next up, Julia Avila. It's minus 310 versus Jari Eubanks, plus 255. Avila is... It's hard to put this. She's like... She's the uncrowned top of the division. I'm not saying she's going to be champion. I'm just saying pretty much anyone who's the who's who within the division, she has beaten just super early in her career, and she has looked phenomenal. She just can't seem to get going uh, in the UFC uh, in terms of fighting. Like obviously she beat Gina Mazzani, but that's Gina Mazzani. She has a lot of canceled fights. She's had trouble just like getting going. Like even just going over here, she's had two, four canceled fights with Carol Rosa, two canceled fights with Nico Montano, even though she has a win over Nico Montano earlier in both their careers, just in her second fight. And she just, she can't seem to get going and she needs to get going. She's 32. She's eight and one. I'm, I'm, I've been very pumped about her in the UFC. Like I, her tape just. So I'm trying to find a good way to articulate this. I, I think she's going to absolutely demolish Shajara Eubanks. Uh, but 
I know I underestimate Sajari Eubanks just about always. Um, I thought that Sarah Morris was just going to beat her. Um, sorry, anyone that loses to Betch Carrera, I'm like, I, I don't really have much respect for you. I think I've said that uh, when we were going to, when we broke her down the last go around before that fight fell apart. But I really like Julia Vila here. Um, these odds are really high for someone who I like, just in the terms of within the UFC isn't necessarily proven, but I do see her beating Sajara Eubanks. I don't think it's gonna be close. And but 310, man, I gotta, I gotta stay away from that. Um, so I got the pick Avila, no money in that in any regards. And I can only imagine that her DraftKings salary is pretty high as well. So Mikey Avila versus Eubanks. Uh, yeah, you're talking about the DraftKings salary. She is actually the uh, highest price on the card this week, $9,400. 32 years old, five foot seven with a 69-inch reach, 8-1, and one, but even that, that loss she has isn't even really a loss. She broke her finger in the first round, like a really nasty one. It was like, you know, sticking, the bone was sticking out. It was absolutely disgusting. Uh, you know, she's just a much more skilled fighter here. Size advantage, more aggressive on the feet, more power. Fighting Sajara Eubanks, 5-4. and four. 35 years old, five foot four, 67 inch reach, and you know, three and two since joining the UFC, coming off a loss. I, for me, Julia Vila is too expensive to justify putting in the lineup, even though I do think she's a fighter who can get stoppages. Three of her last four wins have been stoppage. I just don't, for $9,400, and women's MMA tends to go to decisions so much. I just, I, I can't justify that price tag in our lineup. It would sacrifice way too much in the mid part of it. So this this is a complete stay away from me. I don't think Sajara Eubanks has any, you know, real path to victory in this at all. So for me, staying away from both of them. Next up, Matt Chanel is plus 105 as the underdog versus Tyson Nam, minus 125. Explain to me how you can trust Machinel in this fight. I know he's an underdog, and I think this is the reason he's the underdog. I think he has more gas in the tank. I think he's getting better. I think Tyson Nam is over the hill. But you, explain to me how Machinel might not be winning the utter vast majority of the fight, and then Tyson Nam just completely lays him out and it's over. Oh, is that up? I, I didn't know if you were. Uh, that was rhetorical. Or no, that, that, that's, all, that's all I got because it's like I like. Ma- <laughs> I actually do like Machinel here. I really do, but. Tyson Nam has that much power that he just will unleash, and Schnell doesn't have a strong chin. We'll put it that way. So, like, I, I would love what to a- pick Schnell here because I think he's gotten better since the cage show on MTV. But Tyson Nam might very well just lay him out early. What What are the live odds right now for uh, for Schnell versus the Nam? Because you're saying he was the underdog. He's uh he's the heavy favorite. Schnell is plus uh, Schnell is plus one hundred five currently. Actually, okay. well, that's what I have. That's what I have for the odds when I made the notes. Let me just double check in case that flipped on us. He is now plus one hundred. Schnell okay. is plus one hundred. Nam minus one twenty. Oh, well, this is all jacked up on DraftKings. Then on DraftKings, Matt Schnell is uh, eighty six hundred, and Tyson Nam is seventy six hundred. I actually, I like oh. uh, if you if you want me to talk you into him, I like Chanel in this fight. We're actually going to mm-hmm. roll with him on our card. Uh, Fourteen and five, two knockouts, nine submissions. Um, that's versus Tyson Nam, 19 and 11, 11 knockouts, but has never been submitted. So this is one of those Mm -hmm. battles. Um, I think it could end up being a decision like a dominant one or Tyson Nam. Uh, I'll get in, I'll get into his negative in a second, but Matt Chanel four and one in his last five, two triangle choke victories in that he's coming off of a loss last December. He did what you like, took some time off, you know, got himself healthy again. 
And what I like about him, he's a finisher. 11 of his 14 wins a finish. He's only 30 years old, primarily a submission fighter, but I think he's competent enough on the feet to not get you know, lit up by one of those Tyson Nam shots. Tyson Nam, mm-hmm. on the other hand, 19 and 11, 11 knockouts, three and two in his last five, coming off of a KO in June against Zarek Adeshev. Sorry, I always have trouble with the V names. But uh, 36 years old, a little older, better stand-up for sure, 11 losses, zero by submission. The one thing that I really didn't like about Nam when I was uh, researching this fight, if this is something that you want to make you feel better, he lives in Hawaii, and everything in Hawaii is still locked down. He said in an interview that he could barely get any real training in. All the gyms Mm -hmm. are shut down, so I don't know... I don't know what he's doing at 36 years old in a division that doesn't lend itself well to people who are aging. What is he doing to get that same level of training that's going to prepare him for somebody like Matt Chanel? Uh, for me, I think Chanel's a, uh, maybe not a lock, but I think he's a safe play. All he really has to do is avoid getting brained, uh, drag him to the ground, try to tire him out. And I think at $8,600, Matt Chanel's a good play. So I, I he's playing in our lineup. Tyson Nam, if you're looking for somebody who can – give you that first round knockout. Somebody's going to come out there guns blazing $7,600. He could get it done, but I don't think you will. So I'll help you feel better. Matt Chanel, 8,600. Let's go. I appreciate that. Cause honestly, it's just, I really do think I agree with all your points on Chanel and that's how I think he's going to win the fight. But just that's how I thought the last fight with Tyson Nam was going to go. And he just let one shot go and end in the night. But uh, moving on, uh, Billy Corintio, minus 255 versus Kyle Nelson, plus 215. Nelson's coming off a year-long layoff. Billy uh, Corintio, he's the one who beat Alpha Ginger. Alpha Ginger came at him hard in the first round, just completely just took it to him, and then he survived and took control in the second and then easily won the third, winning that fight, and then eventually came back um, from that fight, clean bill of health, all that jazz, to corner a friend and tested positive for covid so then he had to go on and didn't quite stick in the quarantio yes terrible joke we're running with it um i have already mentioned Cal nelson as the year long <laughs> yeah i know it was bad it's fine it's fine uh it's all good. yeah I, I i love puns more than just about anything i think that happens like the moment that you have a kid the pun level just starts to rise and i have two so like that pun level is like it's immeasurable at this point but uh so I mean, my dad get along because he has four kids. So it's like that the the pun just like it plays off each other, and you just have the silly dad jokes that just keep you going. But <laughs> but I really like Billy here. Um, obviously the odds makers do as well. He's minus two fifty five. So uh, sorry I can't give you a sneaky underdog play on this one. But I actually really like Corintio uh, in this spot. I think he beats Kyle Nelson rather easily, uh, and I could actually see a submission uh, finish in this one. I'm going to say second round, but I have no play on this one just because how steep it is for Corintio. So, Mikey, what do you have for Corintio versus Kyle Nelson? Or the Alpha Ginger nah, Slayer, for, as I'm going to start calling Billy. <laughs> no, nah, this, this is a total banger alert. The, uh, the quarantine one himself. Uh, coming out seven-fight win streak, five finishes in that span. Uh, he's come, uh, Billy Quarantillo coming off at uh, $9,300 on DraftKings. I think he's definitely worth it because, like you said, I, I agree with you. I think he's going to get a submission, you know, first, second round. I don't know. For Kyle Nelson, it's kind of can he be a, like a better version of Spike Carlisle almost? Like, can he come out there and get that finish early? I don't think he can. I think Quarantino is going to weather whatever he throws up. Yeah, no, <laughs> definitely not. That's why I think, I think Quarantino is going to weather whatever storm he has to throw at him. Uh, I like Quarantillo a lot. Like we said, when he was uh, for the Matt Favola view, they're training together. They're both peaking at the same exact time. I think he's prepared for what a guy like Kyle Nelson is going to try to do. 
at $9,300, if you can fit him in your lineups, go for it. I mean, I, the reason I, I would love to put him in there, he's not going to be in ours just because of the way that I have it structured. But if, if you like some dogs that we don't like, by all means, try to fit him or Avila in him because I think he, you're talking about a guy right here who could end up paying off like 120, 130 points. But for, yeah, for me, this isn't a very tough one. Banger alert for how long it lasts. Billy Corantio, take him. Next up, we have Ed Shortfuse Herman, plus 215. Yes, he's still in the UFC, now at 205. Verse, and I'm, I'm probably going to say some disparaging things towards Ed Herman. Not in a bad way, just I did it the last, like, six times he was supposed to fight before they got canceled. So I got, I, 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 it, it's a pent up until he actually fights and proves it all right again. Uh, he's fighting Mike Rodriguez, minus 55. We just saw a fight. And look utterly phenomenal uh, in his last fight, just coming on really strong and uh, taking out uh, Marcin Prochnio. Prochnio. Gotta get better at my Eastern Bloc names, but but we're getting there. Um, it landed some great elbows on the feet and followed up by punches and got the finish there. Ed Herman, man, he has been in the UFC for a long, long. He's in the Ultimate Fighter season three. Uh, for middleweight, and now he's here at 205 because he not want to cut weight anymore. Old Team Quest guy. But like I said, with canceled fights, I just want to go through these for a little bit. So he was supposed to fight in on May 2nd. Got canceled. So they rebooked that one for August 1st. That got canceled. Then Gerald Merchardt stepped in to fight him on last notice. And that got canceled. Then he was going to fight him, Gerald Merchardt, again on September 12th. That was the last one you heard on the show that we broke down. That got canceled. John Allen was going to get put in a super last minute replacement. We didn't break that one down because that happened after the show. Then that one got canceled. So he has been bouncing around for the last four months trying to fight. And now he's fighting Mike Rodriguez, who looked good last time out. The only thing I worry about is, is this, this is like the biggest veteran that Rodriguez is going to be fighting. And Ed Herman, as slow as he is, as much as he throws single shots, he's there to be hit. He's got a half-decent ground game and just – from just sheer experience might pull this one off because Mike Rodriguez is not unbeatable. I mean, the dude has lost and in his loss has not looked the best. So, I mean, it's very possible that Herman can get him up against the cage and just make a boring, awful, slow fight. This is not the alpha ginger here. This isn't the beta ginger here. We're borderline to like gamma, delta, maybe even down all the way down to sigma. I mean, I don't want to say omega because that's disrespectful. I don't want to go that far with it, but he's definitely not on the alpha side. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll stop it with the Greek alphabet there. Um, I just... I, I like Mike Rodriguez. I wouldn't put that anything on this fight because he's super steep yet again. That's why we won't, wouldn't go through it the last time out also. And there's not good. There's not two guys that I believe in enough to parlay together. I'm not always the biggest fan on parlays in general, but my, my, Mike Rodriguez should take it here. He's he's on the upswing. Ed Herman's kind of limping along, trying to keep a fight going, a fight career going as long as he can. So my pick is Mike Rodriguez and Herman's been finished in the past and is there to be hit. So Mike Rodriguez might actually get a finish here. So I guess that's my prediction. Mike Rodriguez finish. I'll say second round Mikey short fuse versus man. I, should, I always forget Mike Rodriguez nickname is slow. That's a terrible nickname. Either way, <laughs> short fuse versus slow. Uh, I guess I'll start off with the guy that I think is going to win Ed Herman, uh, 24 and 14, seven knockouts, 14 submissions, uh, two and three in his last five. He's won two straight, but realistically, there could be three in a row. He had a really close fight against mm. John Vellante. 
Uh, you could easily have scored that for him. You know, he's, this is the old guard of the UFC right here. He's been in the UFC since 2006. Uh, black belt, wrestling. Uh, he's got a wrestling and gra- grappling advantage in this fight. He's coming off a 10-month layoff. Like you said, he's had you know 15 fights canceled in the last 15 minutes. Uh, but what that tells me is that even at his age, 39, he's still training. He's, ready, he's been ready to fight for a while. And you know what? If you watch season three of The Ultimate Fighter, you know when that dude gets pent up, that's when he's ready to go. That might be when he's at his best. Uh, stylistically, it, it could be like something out of UFC 38. I mean, if it stays standing, Rodriguez has a clear advantage in the power and reach. He has the potential to put Ed Herman away. Herman's game plan, on the other hand, should be simple. Close the distance, use the cage, use that old team quest, uh, you know, dirty boxing, get him up against the cage, drag him down, get on top of him, ground and pound, try to work for a submission. Uh, I'm picking Herman for this fight. I just... Clear path to victory for me. Veteran savvy. I think he can pour it on. Like maybe get a stoppage late, but likely a decision. Um, especially for DraftKings for me. It's seventy four hundred dollars. He's a he's one of the best underdogs that I can see on this card. We're gonna be playing him on our card as opposed to Mike Rodriguez at eighty eight hundred. I think there's other guys for that price uh, at eighty eight hundred that you could play. Like I know you didn't like Camacho, but I think Camacho has a clearer path to like maybe like a first round knockout or something like that. You know, just for Ed Herman, he's got to watch out for Mike Rodriguez's reach. He's got to you know watch out for his height. And you know, other than that, Mike Rodriguez, blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu on the ground. I just I don't trust that against a guy like Ed Herman who's been around as long as he has. He's two and two since joining the UFC. He, you know, he should be two and three, but he lost to John Allen if he got popped for that Brock Lesnar special, that estrogen blocker. But uh, for me, Ed Herman, seventy four hundred dollars. He's going to be on our slate. I like him. Next up, Andrea KGB Lee, minus 320 against Roxanne Matafari, plus 260. This is the first bet on the card. This is my pick for the card, um, specifically mine, because we will get into the next fight, which will have Real Mike's official pick for the card. And obviously, we don't necessarily all agree always, but occasionally we do. (laughs) Um, Andrea KGB Lee, uh, I just remember watching her in... LFA and earlier just always just being like it's, it's a little bit more moderate now but she'd be like a minus 700 minus 800 minus 900 favorite and yeah she won those fights but it, it was always so much closer than the odds would indicate um she's all around skilled not to mention her I'm trying to feel like a delicate way of put this her terrible outside of the fighting game personal life. Uh, we don't need to go down that road too much, but let's just her significant other and just, eh, whatever. Look at it if you need to. She isn't in the best mind state uh, as far as that goes. Uh, Roxanne Matafari, she will fight for your money. She's at plus 260. She has played spoiler before. She is one of the few long-term veterans in the sport that her specialty is uh, fighting up-and-comers who don't have quite the full game yet. No, Roxanne Matafari is not going to throw a fight-ending Hail Mary strike that's going to finish it. No, but she can make it a super close, dirty fight and land where she needs to. She is fairly slick on the ground just with the sheer amount of experience she has. I know she has a black belt in uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu, and I I can't remember her her exact belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but she has that experience there, and she's gotten so much better since uh training in las vegas like it's dramatically different yes she's kind of a win one lose one type of fighter so it's not like 
she's not going to blow your hair back. <laughs> this is, this is, this is a bad way for me selling my pick. It, it really is, but <laughs> sorry, it's going to be a very, very close fight. Like it just is. And if you want to go towards her record for the most part, since she's been in the UFC, she's gone win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. And she lost her last fight. So she's due if you want to go that route. But otherwise it's honestly, I just think it's gonna be a very, very close fight. And for two plus two sixty in a fight that's gonna be this close, um, I just like her here. Uh, obviously, she's hit big for me as an underdog before against Macy Barber. I think this has some elements of that. Uh, Andrea Lee obviously has more experience than that, but I see Matafari on the winning side of a close fight, maybe even a split decision. But I'll take the dog money there. So the first bet is Roxanne Matafari at plus two sixty, and I know this is going out on a limb, but that's my pick. Uh, Mikey KGB versus I don't know every nerdy boy's dream I guess <laughs> um, I'll get to Lee in a second I have to start off with Roxanne Matafari um, I, I definitely can't pick her and it's also because I don't want to everything about the way she fights bothers me um, I, when I was trying to break down this fight I was trying to liken her to a different fighter what her stand up looks like because it is so awkward looking and I couldn't think of a single fighter until at work earlier today, it hit me. Her direct comparison to a stand-up fighter is Jeff Daniels in Dumb and Dumber. If you look at the snowball fight scene that he had against uh, Mary Moo, he hits her with the snowball, he stands up, and he's got, got his shoulders tucked, and he's like doing all this. That's exactly what her stand-up looks like. I, I can't pick her against uh, Andrea Lee. Hey, that's still better than Ben Askren. <laughs> I don't, is it? I don't know. Cause at least Ben Askren has like the hip excuse. I don't know what Roxanne Matafaris would be. Gosh, you'd have to like, tell me she has like a Texas tornado fake leg. I don't know, but uh, she that's might have old. Fake she wears enough padding down there that you, there's no way of knowing. Oh, uh, that was, that was a deep cut wrestling reference. Uh, people, fans of the USWA will love that. But um, Andrea Lee, uh, 11, 11, four, 31 years old, five, six, 69, lost two straight to Lauren Murphy and Joanne Calderwood. Both of those were close decisions, and pretty much every media member had the, uh, the Murphy fight scored for Lee. She's 3-2 and two in her last five, a much busier fighter on the feet. When you're talking about uh, Roxanne Matafari's path to victory, you're talking about how she can wrestle her, she can put her against the cage and things like that. I don't know that at this stage in Andrea Lee's career if that is going to work on her anymore. Uh, she's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and a brown belt in Judo. I think... A 37-year-old Roxanne Matafari is going to have a lot of trouble when she gets her against the cage to try to drag her down like that. And the second they separate, my God, I mean, I, I will take KGB leave over Jeff Daniels. Like that's just that's how I'm gonna that's how I'm gonna call that. Uh, plus, it's it's the smaller cage. Uh, it's a little easier said than done with everything that I just said. But you know, Lee's grounded out her game in the five years since they last met. But uh, Matafari, just that, that come-forward, herky-jerky approach to striking. It's not too technical. Lee, by decision, has to be my pick. At $8,900... Let me see here. Sorry, I lost the, lost the player for a second. At $8,900... Um, yeah, it's a stay away for me. I was thinking about putting her in earlier. I had her in the lineup, then I got rid of it. Uh, she, this is a stay away. I don't think... I can't put uh, Roxanne Matafari in my lineup either at 73. I just don't trust her. I think Ed Herman or Anthony Ivey is a better, a better play at that price. So KGB Lee for me. Next up in the 
In terms of topology, this is what's listed as the co-main event, obviously with fights getting canceled out or changing bout order, which seems to happen on an almost daily basis. This might not be what it is, but as of right now, the co-main event is Kamal Worthy, minus 135 versus Atman Azatar, plus 115. Now, this is a, a next bet for us, and this is Real Mike's bet, so I want to give you his breakdown on why he's picking it. And I actually echo most of these sentiments. Uh, the bet is Atman Azatar, the plus 115. And his reasoning for that is uh, Kama Worthy has been TKO'd two times in his losses. Uh, it will be a close battle where Kama cannot get space and the power of Ottoman can sneak up on him or can wrestle to win a decision. Uh, he has Atman as the better wrestler here and can possibly win in the long goings towards the decision. Um, for those of you who remember, Worthy did come up for us big against uh was that Luis Pena if I recall correctly was his last fight we had him at decent dog odds I'm just clicking just to make sure I want to make sure I don't get that wrong yeah it was in the Luis Pena fight we had him as a fairly big underdog in that one so in the past we have rated him high enough at least to beat Luis Pena but although I do I did I rate a lot of people high enough to beat Luis Pena so that's not I guess not a uh ring endorsement but uh, I do echo the sentiments of real Mike here I do like Otman Azatar's chances i like how hard he comes forward and i do think he has a good chance of getting a finish here and at the underdog i like him there too so our second bet on this fight card is otman azatar at plus 115 now mikey in terms of DraftKings, where are you for worthy versus azatar or not so worthy sorry i had to throw that one in there (laughs) (laughs) um just looking at the two, I don't see a huge advantage in either direction for these two just because of the styles they're going to bring. They both like to mm-hmm. throw heat and trade. Ottman's a little more reckless in the exchanges, though. When you watch him, if you get a chance, uh, if you're listening to this, when, after the episode, go look up a fight between Ottman Azatar and Charlie Leary. And what you're going to see is the reason that I'm not picking Azatar is because he, he just kind of comes in like a less powerful Vanderlei, very wide open, leaves his chin right out there to get hit, and he gets dropped a lot. It, then you look over at Kamal, Kamal Worthy, and I just think a little bit of a longer reach and a little, just a little bit more technical with those punches. He's throwing the bigger, the bigger, straighter punches. Not just that, he's the more athletic guy between the two. He's bigger, he's a little faster. So when they start getting in those exchanges, I just ha- look, any of these guys can land. Like, I don't think it's a lock either way. But if I have to pick which one of these guys is more likely to land, I'm picking Kamal Worthy. Uh, Azatar could be a great play. I mean, a guy, 11 of his 12 fights have been finishes. He does have fast, powerful hands. Uh, just for these two in particular, I think Worthy is the more likely to get that knockout. And that's why we're putting Worthy on our card on our DraftKings slate at 8,500. But again, Ottman at 7,700 in DraftKings could be a, a huge play. If he comes out there and swings, he's going to end up for sure on the optimum slate on DraftKings. He's just not on, not going to be on ours for all the reasons that I listed uh, just now. And for you guys that are going to watch that fight, the Charlie Leary fight, that is from Brave CF4. Um, and if you need a date to go along with that, that is uh, March 31st of 2017, if you guys are searching for that online it's to an watch absolute war. Brave. F4, and it's a one round fight. So enjoy that afterward, regardless of which way you fall on it. Enjoy that fight. Really enjoy most of the fights. He, since he's such an action fighter, you can really watch just about any one of his fights, and they're pretty crazy action there. Um, next up is the main event. Well, the new main event. Originally, we were supposed to have Tiago Santos versus Lover Teixeira, but 
COVID takes away. It never gives. It only takes away. So what was originally the co-main event is now the main event. Michelle Waterson plus 105 versus Angela Hill minus 125. This is going to be a close fight. Um, I like. I actually like Angela Hill here in general. Uh, I do think Michelle Waterson has a better ground game when she can get it there. If she, well, she has to give up submissions as well. But I, I think she's uh, more opportunistic on the ground um, and a little bit flashier on the feet. Whereas I think Angela Hill is more consistent on the feet and will throw in combination and towards an overall game plan to win. Uh, I have no bet whatsoever on this one just because how close I know it's going to be. But I absolutely lean Angela Hill here at the minus 125. If she was the dog, I might have to lean that way. I actually thought she was going to be a dog going into this, and I was fully anticipating possibly picking her. But the minus 25 has me away. Like if she was plus 125, like it's completely flipped the other way, I might lay a little bit of something on this, but just how close it's going to be, I can't in good faith give this out as a pick, a bet, or anything under the sun. But honestly, it, it should be a fairly entertaining fight. Uh, over the course of the five rounds. So, Mikey, Waterson, Hill, TLC, Waterfalls, where are we here? <laughs> uh, well, first off, I'm Michelle Waterson's biggest fan on the planet, um, which hurts me <laughs> to say with my pick in this fight is going to be uh, Angela Hill going against her. Uh-huh. Angela Hill's 3-2 and two in her last five. Uh, she lost her last fight against Claudia Gadelia. It was a close to split decision, but a lot of the media did score that for Hill. Um, she's going to be probably the busier fighter on the, on the feet. She lands more significant strikes per minute, plus she also hits more power. Uh, where I think Watterson probably has her advantages. She's a little bit more technical, um, a, def- a definite advantage on the ground, although she hasn't submitted anybody since 2016. She's gone to seven straight decisions. Uh, one thing that was uh, kind of weird, just you forget how, how, or how long michelle waterson's been around 34 years old but then you forget that angela hill kind of entered late she's actually the older fighter I, I didn't even realize that before i started looking it up angela hill 35 um i th- i just think the way this fight's gonna go angela hill has more power and at this stage in waterson's career i just think she's gonna get bullied around the cage that smaller mm-hmm. cage angela hill's got the power she's just gonna keep her she's gonna keep her backing up with those power shots and when you watch Michelle Watterson's fight, she's definitely not the same caliber of fighter backing up. Uh, I would love to say that this is going to be another like Paige Van Zandt fight. I just don't see it happening. Uh, Watterson does have that, that solid advantage on the ground. If she can get it there, maybe pull off a slick submission or maybe just dominate it for uh, to get to a decision. But that's not how I see it. Um, going with Angela Hill. So for pricing, Angela Hill could be a good DraftKings player at 8,200. She doesn't get a lot of finishes, so that is going to keep me staying away from her on this card. Michelle Watterson, complete stay away from me or for me at eight thousand. But uh, again, if you wanted to play Angela Hill, I think we both think she's going to win. Uh, you said Angela Hill for the win, right? Yeah, yeah. So and we so both think real she's Mike. Gonna... So that would be all three okay. of us thinking that Angela Hill can pull it off. Yeah, so all three of us think she's going to get the win. Um, I think she could be a great play at eighty two hundred. Michelle Watterson's not the worst one either. But neither one of them is going to be on our slate for the show. Now, as a quick bet recap for here on UFC Vegas 10, we have one unit on Modifari plus 260. That's to win 2.6. And then one unit on Azatar plus 115 to win 1.15. Now, Mikey, what is our DraftKings lineup for this event? All right. Well, right before I get to the line, I want to get to our underdogs as I have them in order because that's. We have our core players, but the underdogs in order, I think Anthony Ivey, $7,200. Never been to a decision. Uh, he's facing an opponent with a ton of question mark coming into this fight. 
I think his style matches up great against Barbarinas. I, I like him for the win outright, but if he could be at $7,200, an absolutely huge play on this card. Then after that, I've got Ed Herman at $7,400. We just talked about him. He's got that wrestling. He's got that dirty boxing, that veteran savvy. I think I think he could pay off as well. Matt Frivola after that is a great one, $7,800. That relentless re- wrestling, he can score a lot of points off that, make it a fight. And we just talked about him, Atman Azhar. $7,700, finished 11 of 12 fights in a, probably what is going to be a firefight. I love him as an underdog. Our actual lineup, Kamal Worthy, $8,500. He's a core player. Ed Herman at $7,400, and Anthony Ivey are going to be our two dog plays on this car. Sabina Mazzo, $9,200. She's our most expensive play. I have her as a core play. I'm playing her across the board. Matt Chanel, you wanted to feel better about it? He's in our lineup for the show. Feel as good as you need to because I need him to hit too. $8,600, and then we're going to round it off with Bobby Green, $9,100 core play. Just run through it one more time real quick. Kamal Worthy, Ed Herman, Anthony Ivey, Sabina Mazzo, Matt Shell, and Bobby Green. This lineup maxes out your salary at $50,000. You don't have anything left to play with. But if you don't like Max Schnell or Kamal Worth as much and you want to trade him out, you think you have a better option, you can still afford to switch either of them out with like a Roosevelt Roberts or an Angela Hill and maybe upgrade to a Camacho or a Lee. But I like that lineup for us. Solid lineup. Obviously, rewind back if you want to check that out. We will redistribute such information on Twitter as the week goes. As we get closer to the fights, we will do our best to share those and retweet those. And like we had to several times if fights get canceled. Bets usually don't get added um, unless they both get swiped away and there's another one we really like. But we will do our best to try to update the DraftKings so you guys for sure have a lineup or at least a lot of players to use. But at some point, it's out of our hands once you get to like three, four, five fight changes or cancellations, especially the day of. But we will be back next week to preview Covington versus Woodley. Do not forget to subscribe to us on your platform of choice. Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Overcast Podcast, just the RSS feed. Remember to subscribe to us on YouTube. If you're watching us here on YouTube, you should subscribe because there's, there's just more content that's going to be coming your way. Full-length shows and smaller tidbits to get you through the week. Like, comment, and share to spread the word. And yes, another reminder, please give us a rating and a review on iTunes. It does a lot on the Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find us and can enjoy what you are currently enjoying in your ears. If I could give you a hug right now through your ear canal, I would. But I'm not going to say ear canal again because at some point that's going to turn way too many people off. So please like, comment, and share to spread the word. And with that, let's roll. 